Hello, this is Sunday Starter. I'm Andy Mangum. My purpose in these podcasts is to give us a look at a Sunday in the lectionary and look at one of the texts that were selected there as a way of getting a head start on our Sunday. My goal is to provide a non-chatty overview of one of those texts and primarily look at the text itself and to suggest some things that interpreters might want to consider as they get ready for Sunday. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. The story is about the Apostle Paul. We're introduced to Paul as Saul in chapter 7, where at that point he is a persecutor of early believers. When the, the people get angry with Stephen and stone him to death, they lay their cloaks, it says, Acts seven fifty eight. they lay their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. He received permission from the high priest to seek out followers of the way and to, to bring them back to Jerusalem. We assume that they would face a similar fate as Stephen faced. And But while he was on his way to Damascus, he encountered the risen Christ uh, who blinded him and uh, called him to repent of that uh, persecution of the church. He received entry into the church in Damascus through a man named Ananias, and then he went to Jerusalem where he was received by the disciples because of the acceptance of a person named Barnabas. I mentioned uh, Ananias and Barnabas because I'm, I'm focusing uh, this look at the book of Acts in Eastertide on those people who had to adjust to a new reality of God's inclusive love. Ananias and Barnabas, both a little uh timid about accepting this persecutor of the church, and yet they expanded their circle to include him. Uh, Acts chapter 11 talks about how Paul moved back to Tarsus and then was included in the church in Antioch through Barnabas's work. Uh, tells a little bit about uh, the work that Barnabas and Saul did in Acts chapter 13. Uh, we have a first reference to Saul being Paul, and, and that's in the context of Paul accompanying Barnabas in his missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas go to the Jerusalem Council where the early Christian believers had gathered to discern what was to be the requirement of Gentile converts to Christianity. Again, this emphasis, right? God's love inclusive of all humanity, but as people become aware of that through Jesus Christ, they become members of the church. And so then the church has to ask, make, make the decision, what does that mean? What does it mean for us? Uh, and, and, and so there were those who believed that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we do believe. And that means that the followers who convert to Christianity should adapt to those practices like circumcision and responding to the holy days and ritual cleansing. Other believers, like Paul and Barnabas, advocated for full acceptance of the Gentiles, so expanding that circle with, with little uh, imposition of cultural practices on that. And so that's eventually the position that, that wins out. But then we have this really sad story at the end of Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas take leave of each other. They, they argue about a, a young man named John Mark, and John Mark had been a companion for them, but had abandoned them. And Barnabas wanted to receive him back and let him continue on the journeys with us, uh, with them. Uh, Paul did not, and so the two split. So Paul, this person who has received amazing hospitality and forgiveness for really awful acts, unwilling to demonstrate hospitality, unwilling to demonstrate forgiveness for John Mark. I don't think we should hold that against him. It's there in the text, and it's been there for 2,000 years. I think we have to acknowledge that. But to say that this expanding circle somehow 
uh, didn't include everything that we hoped it would every time by every person. And that's true uh, for us as well. Beginning in Acts chapter 16, uh, then we are introduced to a new character in the Pauline entourage. It's Timothy, who is half Jewish and half Greek. I believe that's a symbolic character as much as it is a historical one at this point in Acts. Again, it's that emphasis on what it is to live at these liminal spaces in the juncture between two cultures, half Jewish, half half Greek. Uh, Our scripture reading this Sunday, uh, for this Sunday, might more naturally begin in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, because that describes how Paul and his companions had traveled through Phrygia and Galatia, uh, which would have been present-day Turkey, that they were, they were Paul, at least, being from Tarsus, was working within a region that he himself knew. But again, the Spirit of God wanting to, to move his circle out. Uh, Paul said he wanted to go to Asia, but was prevented from doing that because of the Holy Spirit. So instead of going east, they go west. They were in Troas, which is a major traveling intersection between what is now Turkey and what is now Greece. And that's where our scripture reading picks up. 16.9 says, During the night Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying to us, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Some things to say uh, about this this vision. First thing to say is that that this is one of five visions that the that Luke, I believe, uh, appropriate to refer to the author of Acts as Luke. Uh, that that Luke tells us about that Paul had. Uh, Paul himself, in his own letters in 2 Corinthians 12, describes this kind of visioning, uh, sort of awkward in the way he does it. He says, I know a person, assume he's talking about himself though, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And then in that space of uh, ecstasy or paradise, he is told things that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such one, I will boast, he says, but not on my own, I will not boast, except of my weakness. So uh, these visions were a, a central part of the early church's understanding and leadership and movement. So, so that's that's one thing to say about this vision. Another thing to say about this vision is that it's really in, unspecific. So a man from Macedonia, the, the vision doesn't tell us that. And that's a little different because the, we, we've heard about a vision that Peter had about people coming for Cornelius's house, and Cornelius is named in that vision as well when Ananias received a vision to go and to to heal Saul. Uh, Saul is identified by name. This person isn't identified by name, nor does the story unfolding tell us who this person might be. We don't know. Uh, so, so those are a couple of things that we might want to say uh, about this vision. He heard a vision of a man that's come over to Macedonia to help us. So it was a Macedonian call. Macedonia was the kingdom of Alexander the Great. It once stretched the span of Greece and beyond, uh, far beyond. But by Paul's day, Macedonia had contracted. It had brought into the Roman Empire, made a vassal state, and was divided into four distinct colonies. When, uh, verse 10, when he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced by God uh, that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. This, by the way, is the first use of that first person plural pronoun, we, uh, in the book of Acts. Perhaps it is because Luke, uh, who I believe to be the author of Acts, uh, Luke himself was a member of this traveling party that went to Macedonia, or perhaps because 
uh, whoever wrote Acts was working from some sources like a travel diary and used the we uh, as it was taken in from uh, that travel diary. We, we don't know exactly, but this is the space. Uh, we're going to see multiple points along the way in Acts where that we language is introduced. Acts chapter 16, verse 11 says, We set sail from Troas, took a straight course to Semithrace, and following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained there in the city for some day. We do know that a Christian community forms in Philippi. Uh, Smyrna, uh, Polycarp of Smyrna uh, wrote one of his letters to uh, the church in Philippi, and, and Paul himself wrote a, a letter to the church in Philippi. So, so it's significant, uh, though uh, significant in what way is something that we need to be careful about. Louisa Schottroff, uh, a feminist uh, theologian and, and a New Testament scholar, wants to warn us away from uh, over-exaggerating the claim that this is the first European convert and the first European church. That's often how that gets footnoted in Bible uh, study Bibles and commentaries, that, that, that a lot is made out of that. And, and, and Schottroff points out that that reflects a certain Eurocentrism that is uh, in our New Testament scholarship and biblical scholarship generally, as well as our interpretation. For this moment, the Macedonia and, and uh, Philippi are, are considered Roman. They are considered Roman colony and, and, and not necessarily of Europe as, as we think of it. And so, um, and so Shatroff's focus would be on uh, Lydia as a leader of an early Christian movement and, and the significance of women in uh, the early church. Talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, but we'll go on. 1613 says, on the Sabbath day, uh, we went out to the gate by the river uh, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. Uh, so, so normally there would be a pattern of going for the synagogues, looking for the synagogues and proclaiming the message first to the Jews. This is a, a pattern that we're going to see repeated uh, throughout the book of Acts. Synagogues were structures inside the city where people would have gathered for prayer. We're not exactly sure why they presumed that there would not be a place of prayer in the city, but went outside the city uh, to look for a gathering of the faithful. But that's what they do. And, and so what's being described here functions a little bit like a synagogue that would have been a place where Jewish faithful had gathered. The physical structure is not necessarily a man. Um, and I, I like to think about some of those open-air gatherings that we hear about, not just in America, but also throughout other countries where uh, people gathered for worship, not without a, without a building, uh, but just in an open field somewhere, and they gather together uh, for worship and for prayer. Revivals would have taken place in some brush arbors, as we might say, some, some makeshift worship gatherings that are outside. Uh, so they were there on the Sabbath day, imagining then that this is a gathering of uh, at least God-fearers, people who had converted to Judaism from, from being Gentile or, or Jewish themselves. So 1614 says, a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what Paul said. Uh, so so um, Lydia 
bookends this movement into and out of Macedonia. She is the first convert. She is the last host. 1640 describes how Lydia serves as something of the headquarters for Paul and his traveling companions through the this portion of the book of Acts. Um, the reference to Sabbath and to Lydia as a worshiper of God suggests that she is either Jewish or like uh, Cornelius was a Gentile convert to Judaism and receptive to receive uh, a message of faith about Jesus Christ. She is a God-fearer. It's possible that she is outside the city gates because there were not uh, enough Jewish men to craft a quorum necessary to hold Sabbath services in the city. Uh, so, so some, you know, some interpretation that has to go on here. Uh, again, Louisa Shatroff would emphasize uh, Lydia's role as the leader of a church and that the early Christian community may have been more egalitarian than we normally think of. We often refer to in those days how sexist and patriarchal they were, which is true. Um, but Louisa Shotroff uses uh, examples of people like Lydia to suggest that, that there may have been more egalitarianism and more openness to women in leadership in the first century than we, we assume. Uh, Valerie Abramson in Women in Scripture almost takes in a different position. Uh, she suggests that Luke's purpose is to present Christianity as non-threatening to Gentiles uh, for potential patrons and converts to not target Christians for persecution, but to join thus them, uh, or at least not treat them meanly. Uh, from that lens, Dr. Abramson suggests that Lydia functions rhetorically as an exemplar of dignified patronage and godliness. Uh, she points out that there's no evidence to be found that there was a Jewish community in Philippi, uh, making our Judaism maybe more literary, uh, and, and this, this space outside the city gates, again, maybe that's, that's a literary device uh, to emphasize the liminal space that, that is being imagined for the church. So, um, you know, you have two different visions of that. One, Louisa Shatroff, who, who maybe want to, um, to see Lydia as a countercultural presence and subverting the patriarchy and leading the church. Uh, Valerie Abramson suggesting that maybe uh, Lydia is being portrayed as uh, someone who gives um, uh, support in the way that Luke wants his other audience members to give support to the church. Uh, there is some suggestion that Lydia may have been a slave. Uh, there's, she's named for a location. Uh, Lydia is a city in, in Turkey. I don't really know too much more about that to say other than to point you to at least some people who suggest uh, that, that she might not have been uh, might not have been affluent. Uh, verse 615, she says, uh, Luke says, when she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon. Uh, so some three concluding thoughts that I would, would have about uh, this text. One is I'd, I'd want to talk back to the text. Uh, we've noticed this pattern in the book of Acts uh, in Luke that there's often this emphasis on people's credit. Uh, Barnabas is described with these glowing terms, and, and so I guess that makes us more uh, willing to accept his leadership, I guess. I don't know. Cornelius is described in, in positive terms, and uh, Lydia now is described in positive terms. Tabitha has these people who speak about her traits. And so uh, you know, I'd want to push back and say, Luke, what about, what about God's expansive love for all humanity, even people who don't deserve it? So far, Luke has been giving us character after character who deserves God's love, with the exception, of course, of Paul. Uh, Paul himself is, is described in some pretty stark 
uh, terms in the book of Acts and then comes to faith. And so then uh, we, we, we celebrate that conversion, that repentance, that change from a violent path. Uh, but, but I would want to talk back to the text with, with Luke and say, you know, why, why do all these people have to have all these credentials of goodness and good works and, and faithfulness before they come to faith in Jesus Christ? What's, where's the, you know, God demonstrated God's love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where's that message? Of course, that's in Paul and not in Luke. So we let Luke speak on his own terms. But I would want to push back on the text at that point for me personally. Now, the thing I'd want to talk about is this gift of hospitality. And it is difficult to express appreciation for what people did in the past without implying an expectation of what people will do in the present. We might say a good number of things about Lydia's place. Uh, she is pushed outside the gate for worship because there aren't enough men to meet the quorum. She submits uh, to Peter saying, if you find me worthy, there are serious questions to be raised here. But I think before we could do that, we should stop and acknowledge the gift we have received from those women who gave in the midst of patriarchy. Uh, my denomination, the Disciples of Christ, would not exist were it not for the United Christian Women Aries Missionary Board. We would not have the ministry of Paul without Lydia. We would not have the ministry of Jesus without Mary and Martha. And so while we don't want to suggest that the women's role in the church is only to provide hospitality, and, and we do want to subvert the patriarchy that sets up specific roles for specific genders in uh, some ways that don't allow people to express the fullness of their faith. And I believe in that. But I also think we need to, to say, can we, can we be grateful that she gives this gift, that Mary and Martha gave their gift, that, that, that women over the 2,000-year history of humanity, though often pushed to places of hospitality by unhealthy expectation, nonetheless can we express gratitude for the, what they have done and to say the church would not be here, uh, we would not have heard the gospel were it not for those gifts of hospitality. I, I would also be one to say I don't particularly experience hospitality. I don't. Uh, I don't have the gift of hospitality, uh, and and I would be wanting to be careful not to to drive us too quickly to say and therefore we should all be hospitable people. I think we should be hospitable people, but but I do so with some uh, reticence because it's not particularly my gift. Uh, but 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 to say that this is a theme that we see in the book of Acts, and it's an important part of this message of the expanding circles, that those expanding circles depend upon those hospita- hospitality of people like Lydia and Cornelius, who are at the, at the liminal space uh, where the church is moving from one area into the next, and, and Luke gives pays attention to those people who dwell in that space, like Timothy, between the the, the Greek and the Jew, uh, who dwell in that space and who provide us access into those spaces. And uh, so that's, that's a theme I would, I would want to look at if I were looking at this text. Uh, another theme that I would want to emphasize, a third theme I would want to emphasize here, so I want to talk back at the text and ask Luke, why do we have to always give a resume for these people who come to faith in Jesus Christ? Second thing, though, to express just deep, uh, genuine ho- uh, gratitude for the hospitality uh, that is given to various people in the Christian faith, uh, again, without trying to suggest that that's the role only for women uh, and, and that it's not something that men also are called to do. Uh, but that, but the, the third thing I would want to emphasize there is the, the col- collaboration of the hearers and the co-creation of meaning uh, of the gospel. Uh, when I grew up uh, in a 
evangelical context. And so we would often talk about Peter and Paul and these missionary journeys, and they were lionized as these brilliant communicators of the gospel, and we should be like them. We should communicate the gospel. And as I've been reading through the book of Acts in this series, I've really been struck at the way in which their proclamation depends on the cooperation and the co-creation of meaning that, that the people receiving the good news bring to the situation. Peter is called into Cornelius's house by Cornelius himself. There's a Macedonian call of some unnamed person who, who beckons Paul into Macedonia. There is the invitation to share what has been received from the Lord, and there is a co-creation of meaning that we, we are collaborating. And so, so often, right, the church talks about what we have to do to reach the unchurched, quote-unquote unchurched. And, and this has been a space where I would want to imagine what does it mean for us to accept the invitation, to share what we have received? Where are those places where we are being invited in to conversation with people who, while they may not be Christian, uh, are receptive to Christian message. Uh, and without an agenda to convert or uh, to, to, to persuade, but just to share, to be witnesses in that space, and to allow them to help us co-create the message and the meaning that is given there. So, really important text, uh, really helpful text. I hope that you enjoy uh, the Sunday starters, and uh, maybe give me some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking.